You know, I'm, I'm so grateful and proud of Bernadette for courageously sharing with us her story of how her view of God was changed. And that's really what we're going to get at in today's message uh, in this series called Apex. But I wanted to begin by telling you a story uh, from a long ago, at least long ago in my life. Way back before my wife was my wife, she was my girlfriend. And before she was my girlfriend, she was my friend's little sister. Did you know that? My buddy Steve, now my brother-in-law, he and I were friends long before I was interested in Jen or she and me. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget one very, very fateful day. I was still 15. Jen was 14. Steve had just turned 16. And so Steve had gotten his driver's license, and there were about four of us friends who were going to go out. You know, this newfound freedom. We're going to go out for pizza. We're going to go see a movie. This is glorious. You know, no parents. You know, we were just so delighted in this. And we were in the car in Steve's driveway about to leave when my mother-in-law came walking out and said, stop. And she pointed to Steve and she said, come here. And so Steve got out of the car and went, and I could tell that he and his mom were in an argument. It was obvious, you know, and mom always wins that argument. And Steve came back to the car all dejected. And, and he said, uh, my, my little sister has to come with us. <laughs> now, at that particular time, my, uh, my, I didn't see Jen very often. It had been months since I had seen her. And my, my perception of Jen is that she's this cute little girl. I remember we were with pigtails, wore pigtails a lot, and her mouth full of metal. And yet when she bound out of the house and headed towards our car, she had grown up overnight, and my jaw dropped in stunning amazement at this view of beauty. No, no more braces. The braces were gone, and this beautiful smile lit up the place. And, and no more pigtails. Her hair was free. In fact, she did a hair flip as she came. And I, I, I don't, hair flips weren't even popular back then. I think Jen invented the hair flip, potentially. And, and I remember her hair just slow motion, you know, going through the air with the rays of the setting sun, casting through and created like this angelic glow around her as she came, you know. Uh, I think I heard REO Speedwagon music in my mind. And this was just a moment where my heart raced. And I, I felt faint as I beheld this gorgeous vision coming my way. And my attitude changed regarding punk sister coming with us. I was like, scoot over. She can sit next to me. You know, I'm fine with this. And uh, boy, I was taken by her beauty. So... In that moment, I had a perception prior to this moment of what Jen was like, and I was wrong. She was far more beautiful than I thought, and in this moment, I saw and realized the fullness of her beauty. She won my heart. Oddly enough, Moses is going to have a similar type moment in the passage that we're about to study together. And uh, you know he had a he had a beauty wife named Zipporah. Maybe you've heard, of, or is that Moses? I take it back. Yeah, that is Moses. Moses and Zipporah. Anyways, but we're not going there. What, what we're going to speak of is the beauty that he saw in God. 
And when I say beauty in God, obviously, I am not talking about a romantic love in that sense. I'm not talking about a physical beauty, rather a beauty of his inner character and qualities. And Moses knew that God was beautiful. But in this passage, we're going to discover that Moses discovered that God was so much more wonderful than he had ever dreamed. And not only are we going to study Moses' epiphany moment, I'm praying that you have one in this message as well. Because like Moses, we all have a perception of how wonderful God is, and we're all wrong. He is better than you think. And I'm praying that that becomes more clear as we study really one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Now, I say that of many passages, I'll admit that, but this one is awesome. The message is entitled, Gazing Upon Beauty. And I'd like to turn now to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. It says here, at the base of Mount Sinai, Moses offers a new prayer. Moses had one more request that is of God. He said, please let me see your glorious presence, he said. Now, I actually like the more literal expression of this found in the New International Version. It simply says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever asked God to reveal his glory. And you may say, well, what is glory? You know, that's a fair question. And it's a very religious sounding word, but I think a good way to describe glory is that it's, it's God's character on display. The substance, the essential quality of, of God on display. Glory is always on display. It's sometimes uh, expressed as a form of light in the Bible. You know, light is shining forth. And so the glory of God is all of those attributes that make God God on display, shining forth in beautiful array. That's glory. And so when Moses says, God, would you show me your glory? What he's saying, he's saying, God, would you let me see the beauty of your heart. Now, here's the irony that I find with this request. If there was anybody that I would have assumed had seen enough of who God was, it was Moses. If there was anybody who didn't need further revelation of God's character, to me, I would have guessed it was Moses. Remember, Moses is the one who spent 40 days on the summit of Mount Sinai, enveloped in the cloud of God's presence. Moses knew God better than any human being had ever known him. And yet, Moses says, I don't know you well enough. There are mysteries to who you are that I've never seen. And my only request is that I see them. And I would simply make this application. If Moses found his knowledge of God insufficient and in need of expansion or correction, how much more are we in that same need? Every single one of us, whether it was our dad's example to us or the church we grew up in or problems that have been in our past, we just have developed perceptions of God that are either wrong or they're insufficient. And so we need to pray that prayer. God, show me your glory. 
And the Lord was honored by that request, and the Lord honored that request. Look at verse 19. I love this verse. The Lord responded to Moses and said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God says, all right, I'll I'll grant you your request. Here's specifically what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my goodness. It's going to pass in front of you. And the word goodness comes from the Hebrew word tob, which means inner beauty, really, the, the, the pleasant qualities of God's heart. That's what tobe, it's those delightful, aesthetically pleasing elements. And I'll tell you where, what God's doing here. God's saying, Moses, you've already seen some of my glory. The, the glory that Moses had already seen were those imposing attributes like the omnis. You know, when I say the omnis, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. Remember the lightning and the fire from the top of Mount Sinai and the earthquake and the trumpets, all of those amazingly big, intimidating qualities had already been revealed. But God says, Moses, you know what you haven't seen yet is my goodness. Those inner qualities or attributes that aren't as imposing and that are, in fact, pure delight. And God says, I'm going to take you deeper into my heart and show you this side of who I am. And with great enthusiasm, Moses waited for further instructions, and God gave them in verse 22 and 23. The Lord said, here's how it's going to work. As my glorious presence passes by, I'm going to put you, Moses, in the cleft or a cave of the rock And I'm going to cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand, and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. You know, Moses may have desired to stare right into the face of God, but we have learned, and it actually was reinforced in this very chapter, that nobody can just look into God's face and live. It is his glory, his beauty, his power is too much for mere mortals, and we would be overcome by that vision and die. And so God has a plan. He's like, I I want you to feel, I want you to experience my goodness, Moses, but it's going to require me to protect you. I'll put you in a cave. I'll put my hand over the cave. And when God refers to his hand, you know, that's, a, that's a, an image of our human body that helps us. But really, God somehow blinded Moses or blindfolded Moses so that he, his eyes would be protected and he couldn't see God. But he says, I'll put you in that and then, then I will pass by in front of you. Uh, uh, one, one question I would have is why, if he can't see him, would he pass by in front of him? I suspect that in some way, even though Moses couldn't see, he could feel the goodness of God. Like the warm sun shining on your body, the, the, the beauty of God as God passed by so close, somehow, even though vision wasn't available, the, the body perceived, the soul perceived the pure warm, fragrant beauty of the heart of God. And, and he said, I'll pass you by, I'll pass by and you will just take me in. And then he said, I'm going to take off my hand and you'll see, the passage says, uh, you'll see me from behind. And the Hebrew word there 
means my afterward, which is kind of weird. What is my afterward? Well, it's a reference to like the afterglow of God. You've seen the sun set below the horizon where you can't see the sun anymore, but you see the afterglow, the beautiful effect of where the sun has just been. And that's kind of what's going on here. God says, as I pass by, I'll, I'll dip behind the horizon. I'll get beyond where it's safe for you to look, and I'll let you see. And I, I believe there was some visible manifestation of the beauty of God filling the sky in that moment. Man, Moses was lucky. Well, God describes how it's going to work, and now let's read how it actually took place. And in order to see that, we need to go to the next chapter, Exodus 34. I'm going to read in verse 6. He, being the Lord, passed in front of Moses. Here we go. He's in the cave. God's passing by. God passed in front of Moses. And God said, I am the Lord. Now, remember when we see the Lord in all caps like this, that's a reference to the divine name, Yahweh. God says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. How did God say it? Did God sing it? But the glorious voice of God described in words chosen by him a description of his own heart. And as God passed by, as Moses felt the glory, he heard the Lord proclaim what his heart was like. Folks, maybe you've heard this before. The merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding or uh, in unfailing love and, and faithfulness. Have you heard that before? That phrase became so popular because it describes five attributes of the heart of God. Now, It goes on, this passage goes on to add two more, God's forgiveness and God's justice. But I want to zero in on the five found in this verse because they are repeated again and again and again in the Bible. In fact, uh, some have called it the divine attribute formula. Let me show you the, the, uh, the formula list of occurrences. Now, others have called it the Sinai formula as, a, as God's window into his heart. I mean, the biblical writers just capitalized on this and, and grabbed onto it and said, God has shown us his heart in these words. And we find in the book of Numbers, the Sinai formula, those five attributes appear again. Deuteronomy, twice it reappears. In Second Chronicles, Hezekiah declares that Sinai formula again. Nehemiah does it. Psalms, it appears four times, three of them by King David. Jeremiah, Joel, Jonah, Nahum, again and again in the Bible, no matter who the author was, they celebrate this description of God. And so should we. In those words, God is giving us a peek, a glimpse, a window into his own heart. So I would encourage you to memorize them, meditate on them, and let God shine through those words. Let's go to verse 6, uh, and, and I want to go through each of these words and just kind of define them for you. Uh, you probably understand them, but a little description may be helpful. The first is merciful. When, when, when it describes God's mercy, uh, some versions say compassion. This has to do with the tenderness of God's heart, that when God sees someone in pain, 
or hurting or trouble. He is filled with mercy, compassion. Our God is not indifferent and cold, but he, his heart breaks when he looks at a world of people in pain, and maybe you're in pain. You need to know that God weeps. We have a God whose heart is so tender and compassionate that he is merciful and weeps for those who hurt. He hurts for those who hurt. That's his mercy. What about his grace, his graciousness? Grace is undeserved blessing. There is a very strange and unexpected inclination of the heart of God to be good to those who don't deserve it. You know, grace is this blessing, this goodness showered on us that we have no business receiving. We're not good enough to warrant this. The cross of Christ would be the supreme example of God's grace. Jesus died for Jeff Griffin's sin and for yours, and we didn't deserve it. We found this forgiveness, and it was all a gift of grace. God graces us all the time, though we're unworthy. He shows his blessing in our lives. That's just how he is. Slow to anger. Uh, Some uh, older versions called this his long-suffering or his patience. But slow to anger means that though God is fiery, though he's passionate, though he hates evil, God's not quick-tempered. God doesn't fly off the handle. The expression of his passion is always appropriate. And, you know, some of the gods of the ancient world, these imaginary gods, they were just crazy hotheads. And God is not like that. God is always appropriate in in displaying his passion. Uh, Rich in unfailing love. Oh, this is a good one. This uh, Hebrew word translated love here is the word hesed. And it's a different kind of word. You know, I use that example of Jen coming out of the house and me just falling in love, well, that's nothing like the Hesed love of God. The Hesed love of God is a covenant, unending, enduring love. It's not like the fickle affections of mankind. God looks at us. Why it says here it's unfailing is because God says, I promise it will never end. Through Christ, we have been reconciled to God, and he looks us in the eye, and he says, I burn with a love for you that will never end. No matter what you do or how much time passes or where you are, this will remain the same. I love you. God's covenant love, his hesed love, his unfailing love, is one of the most staggering realities in the universe. It's a love like no other love that God burns for you and for me with. And then faithfulness. Faithfulness says that God will never let you down. God will be true to his promise. And by your side, the, the commitment that God has to his own is unbelievable. And though your spouse may let you down, and your parents may let you down, and your friends may let you down, the Almighty never will. Every hardship that you face, he will be by your side, ready to walk you through. There is one who is faithful without failing, and that is God. It's just who he is. And when you start to put those together and start to meditate on the nature of God's heart as revealed, you're like, wow, Lord, I'm beginning to see. I've always said you were good. I've always said your love was amazing, but I I imagine that you are, in fact, 
ten times, a hundred times more beautiful than my mind has ever imagined. God, show me your glory more and more. And the more God shows us, the more we learn, the more we see, the more we understand, the more we believe in God's glory, it changes us. That's kind of why I'm all excited about this. It's not just so we can say, oh, isn't that neat? I saw God's beauty a little more. No, his beauty marks us. We will not be the same the more we see his beauty. And that was the case with Moses. Moses was changed. Can I, I'll just show you two ways that Moses was changed. Verse 8. It says that Moses immediately, upon seeing this theophany or appearance of God, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. One of the changes, one of the responses of this improved understanding of who God is, is worship. Moses couldn't help it. Moses just said, you are amazing. You know, like someone looking at a beautiful sunrise over the mountains, you know, saying, I I just, I'm in awe. I got to show people this, that that celebration of beauty is kind of what's going on in Moses right now. He's just saying, God, you are so beautiful and I worship you. And folks, our worship is not to be forced. You know, some of us are like, all right, I'm supposed to, I praise you, I praise you. You know, like we're obligated to do this. And that's not what worship is to be. Worship is to explode out of our heart drawn by the beauty of God. And, and then worship is not just song. We, we, we love to practice in song. But the goal then is to live our whole lives as an expression of worship. That every day we'd be saying, Lord, how can I obey you today? How can I serve you today? How can I think of you today in a way that honors you? I want my life to be lived for you. That's the dynamic we're looking for. Remember the motto, uh, the, the vision of our church is to love him more, so more love him. And, and to love him more, again, that's not us mustering up love. That's us seeing the beauty, the glory of God, and the love for us being a, a response to how incredible he is. And when we see how glorious he is and our heart just beats with love and worship for him, then we want to live for him. We want to say, Lord, I will live impassioned for you. You know, let me give you an example. Uh, my wife, uh, reluctantly, let me borrow her wedding ring, her engagement ring here as a little illustration. I bought this diamond. Can you see it? No. <laughs> a little sparkle there, maybe? It's very small. But uh, it was the most expensive purchase I had ever made in my life at that time. In fact, when I started finding out how much diamonds cost, you know, I was a youth pastor at the time making peanuts, and I realized, uh uh-oh, I'm not going to be able to afford one. I got a job as a waiter on the side waiting tables just to uh, earn money for this ring. And I was a terrible waiter, horrible. And, uh, I hated the the activity, but I found passion in it because I was driven by my love for Jen. I, I poured myself into that job, earning that money, because love made me do it. Do you see the fuel that's there? And that's what I want my Christian life to be. A a life of worship lived for God because I am mesmerized by his beauty and head over heels in love with my God. 
I, I look at even being a pastor and I've analyzed my own motives. And I've realized that I could, like many pastors, be driven by pride, ego, ambition. I'm going to make myself something. I, I could be driven by the motive of people pleasing. You know, I just want people to like me and I want to do everything I can, you know, to. I want no part of those motives. I want rather for my ministry to be this simple, un- uncontainable expression of my affection for Jesus. Lord, I so love you. I am head over heels in love with you. I've seen your glory, and you are the greatest reality in all of the universe. And if I could spend my life helping people see you, oh God, it would bring you glory and bring me joy. And that's what I want. I want my life to simply be a reaction to God's beauty. And I want that for you. And I'm guessing you do as well. Folks, uh, the first reaction is just worship. We just say, Lord, I want to worship you in this moment and with my life. Because you are amazing and worthy of this reaction. What more thing. So Moses' worship was the first reaction. The second I want to call character. The character of God on display in the life of Moses. This is a really cool verse. It says in 34, 29, verse 29, check this out. When Moses came down the Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, that's the Ten Commandments, Moses wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Have you seen this before? Is this not cool? Moses had basked in the glow, the light. Remember, glory is like light. The, the glowing light of God's beauty as God passed by and he saw the afterglow and he heard the glorious name of the Lord proclaimed that he had worshiped. And when he came down, his face was glowing. Now, that glory that was on Moses' face, where did he get that glory? It had rubbed off on him from God. It was, if you will, reflected glory. God's beautiful character had somehow rubbed off on Moses. You know what what I'm reminded of is the moon. Anybody see the full moon last night? Oh, man, is it gorgeous. You know, and you look at that glorious moon and the light that's there, and then you ask, where does the moon get this light? And we're reminded that the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It's rather reflecting the light of the sun. And that's what we Christians are like. In our visual connection to God, his glory, his beauty begins to reflect off of us to the world around us. Some of you may say, Jeff, you're, you're, you're taking this cool experience that Moses had and you're applying it to us as if we should experience the same thing. I think that was a unique experience of Moses and not the experience of every Christian, and that's where you're wrong. Let me show you in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3.18. New Testament, speaking of all believers, it says, We who contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory of our own. Isn't that a cool verse? It's based off of the Old Testament Exodus 34 verse we just read. We who contemplate, what does the contemplate mean? It means to gaze at the Lord's beauty. 
Hence the title of this message, Gazing Upon Beauty. We who just meditate and think about how wonderful the Lord is in a weird dynamic, his glory is transforming us. And, and I don't know exactly how this works. I wish I could explain the mechanism. I know it in some ways must be like, you know, we say to our kids, be careful who you hang out with because you become like your friends. And there's truth there, isn't there? And similarly, I think when we just hang out with the Lord all the time, he rubs off on us, but it's more than that. And the Lord will explain it someday. But he blesses those who gaze upon him with a fresh uh, infilling of that same character. In some very supernatural and undeniable way, it rubs off on us. And those who are preoccupied with how awesome God is become awesome themselves. Not as perfect as he, but like him in ways. And I, and I thought I'd give you a little example of uh, this from my own life. Um, I bought my son this. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. Uh, it's called a Mega Minx. My, my son Jake is really into Rubik's Cubes these days. He just thinks they're the coolest thing ever. And he's watching videos of guys solving it in like 10 seconds, you know. And it was so fun. Uh, after church a few weeks ago, there were, he had his Rubik's Cube with him at church. You know, some bring their Bible. My son brings his Rubik's Cube. And so a couple guys saw him and a few of you solved it for him with amazing speed and made Jake's day. He was just so enthused about it. Well, he had seen online this mega minx. And I forget how many. It was like, and sides to it. And he, Dad, you see that? I'm like, oh, wow, Jake, that's cool. You know, well, I happened to see one at the store. And I bought it. And I brought it home. And I showed my wife before I gave it to him. I go, look what I bought, Jake. And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, that's what Christmas and birthdays are for. She said, those ideas you're supposed to save and put away. She goes, hide it. And I'm like, no, I want to give it to him today. And she goes, there's no purpose. She goes, in fact, Jake has been a pistol today. He doesn't deserve it of all days, you know. And she was right. He was particularly ornery, and he was not deserving it. And I go, I know, he doesn't deserve it, but I want to give it to him today. She goes, you're reinforcing bad behavior. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing grace. Don't you love being married to a preacher, you know? Grace! And I said, remember, Jen, grace, God gives us and blesses us, and we have no business receiving this blessing. She's like, all right. And so I, I gave it to Jake, and he just delighted in it. Uh, you know, and I asked him, can I borrow your Megaminx uh, for my sermon? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, Dad, what does the Megaminx have to do with God? And I'm like, glad you asked, Jake. I said, what I'm going to tell everybody is just as God gives us gifts we don't deserve, so I gave a Megaminx to a kid who didn't deserve it. And he's like, that's awesome, Dad. Yeah, share that. (laughs) So let's analyze this story. Why was I so inclined to give Jake a gift he didn't deserve? Can I tell you, I had just been meditating on God's grace towards me. I had just in recent days been thinking about how unbelievably blessed I am and how I have no business being that blessed. I was seeing God's goodness expressed towards me with this church. I love our church. With my family, with my new friends. 
And as I looked at all these expressions of God's goodness, at the same time, I see my own sin and my own failure to carry out this life I've been called to live. And, and I'm just like, there's a tension here because I don't deserve being blessed like this. And God's been showing me, you're right, you don't. That's why it's called grace. Receive it, Jeff. And as I meditated on God's grace, as the beauty and the glory of that light shine, it got into me. And as I saw the Mega Minx on the store, at the store, I just said, you know, I want to do what I've seen in God. It's that grace I see in him is coming into me and it's rubbing off on me and I'm finding myself wanting to act like my heavenly father. We shine with the very glory that is captivating us in the heart of God. Well, with all that said, I, I want to end with providing just some quick how-tos. You know, the question is, how, how can I grow in my knowledge of God? If there's this transformational power in seeing God's beauty with greater uh, clarity, well, then how can I? And, and I'll just be quick. One is looking around at nature. Did you know that Psalm 19 said that the heavens or the stars declare the glory of God? If, if you look at the world around you, flowers, children, trees, the moon, stars, mountains, they are, every piece of art says something about the artist. And when you look at the art of God, it speaks of his heart. And sometimes his sense of humor, when you see some of the goofy animals he's made. Uh, I would throw this out. Not only look at the glory of God, but, or at glory of God in nature, but look at the glory of God in the book, this book, the Bible. You know, this Bible was given to us primarily to be a window into the heart of God, to reveal and describe God, most clearly described in the person of Jesus Christ. So as you study scripture, emphasize the study of Jesus because Jesus came to proclaim the glory of God, to give us a picture of God in human skin and in Jesus and what he did and what he said and in the cross, we see the heart of God in beautiful display. So I study the Bible every day looking for the heart of God. Uh, one more. Uh, you can, beyond just Christian, or beyond the Bible, you can go to Christian books based on the Bible. There are some books that are designed or written specifically to describe God. I'll, I'll throw a recommendation out. A.W. Tozer, some of you have read The Pursuit of God upon my recommendation. Challenging read, but good stuff. He also wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, The Knowledge of the Holy. And it is, chapter by chapter, dealing with different attributes of God, describing what God is like. One more, and that is going to a church that describes God well. Uh, and pray for me, because one of the highest burdens I have is to use words to paint pictures of the beauty of God. And I, I tremble at the awesome nature of that responsibility. And pray for me that I would do that well, and pray that you would be here and be blessed as God's nature is proclaimed through the preaching of his word. And then I want to end with this last one, and that's ask. Moses said, Lord, I have a prayer request. Would you show me your glory? 
And the receiving of the glory came in response to the request. Folks, are you asking, are you begging each day, God, show me your glory. If you ask, and if you pursue, if you seek the face of God, he will be found by you. And you'll fall in love. And you'll live your life as a response to that love. Let's pray. God, every one of us in this room has a faulty and incomplete knowledge of you. Would you please help us? Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our soul. Today, tomorrow, the next day, throughout the remainder of our day, let us be on a pursuit of knowing you better. And God, I pray that we would make huge strides, huge epiphanies, in the realization of the magnitude of your love, of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And God, I pray we would be men and women, a church filled with people whose hearts are pounding in amazement and in love with their God. Lord, in the Compass Church, show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.